The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. I'm Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer by trade, but my passion lies in teaching you the keys of persuasion and conflict resolution. My goal is to empower you to engage in these conversations confidently and effectively by not only sharing what works, but by also uncovering why these techniques work through revealing the psychological principles that lie behind persuasion. This podcast is brought to you by the American Negotiation Institute, where we put on workshops that are designed to make your difficult conversations easier. These leadership workshops focus on conflict management and negotiation and will give you the confidence you need to get more of what you want without jeopardizing relationships. Check out the link in the description if you're interested in learning more. Our guest today is Veronica Cravener. Veronica is a litigator turned mediator and is now the supervisor of the dispute resolution program at the Municipal Court here in Columbus, Ohio. She's also the chair of the Alternative Dispute Resolution Committee with the Columbus Bar Association. In this episode, we're going to talk about how we can use negotiation as a problem-solving tool. I know you're going to get a lot out of this one. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Veronica, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Kwame. Thanks for having me. No, it's my pleasure. We've been talking about doing this for a long time, so I'm glad we were finally able to make it happen. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, as I think I've mentioned to you numerous times, I'm a big fan of your podcast and just thrilled to be included in such great company. I mean, you've had so many wonderful guests. I've listened to a number of your episodes. It's both humbling and thrilling at the same time to be included among the bunch. Well, thank you. Yeah. And uh, for the listeners here, Veronica is like my uh, conflict management mentor. So it's an honor to have her on the show. So uh, (laughs) how about we get started by telling the audience a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? Yeah, sure. So I'm a mediator. So I work for our local municipal courts, small claims and dispute resolution department. I sort of had a winding path to my role as a mediator. Um, I do happen to be an attorney. I'm an Ohio licensed attorney and just sort of quickly discovered after law school that, you know, the traditional practice of law wasn't quite the right fit for me. And it was shortly after that that I discovered mediation. And so basically the way that I describe the role of a mediator is basically I'm a neutral third party. I try to help folks resolve their situations outside of a courtroom in a way that works for both sides. So I don't make any decisions. I don't provide any advice. Instead, my role is really helping folks share information, share proposals for resolution to the extent that they wish to. And then ultimately, it's up to the parties themselves to decide if they can reach an agreement. So I'm sort of a facilitator of that self-empowerment or self-determination, if you will. Perfect. In your background, when you did practice for that period of time, you were a litigator, right? Yeah, I was for a brief period of time and just sort of realized that sort of embodying that role of a litigator, being an advocate for one side in their position, works great for others, but just didn't really suit my personality. And I think that's what I like so much about mediation is that I'm not an advocate for either side. My role is really to collaborate with both sides, try to help both sides identify what is it that they're trying to achieve, 
the great thing I always tell folks about mediation is that you're really only limited by your creativity. And so I think that's where just sort of the nature of the roles, being a litigator versus being a mediator, you know, mediator is what I've come to realize over the years is really something that just suits my personality much more. And so that's where I've just ever since kind of spent my efforts finding ways to have that sort of role. Great. That's fantastic. And by the way, do you have a podcast? I do. I do. So thank you for allowing me to engage in a little bit of self-promotion. So yes, it's called Meetups with Mediators. It's uh, sponsored by our local bar association, the Columbus Bar Association. Shout out to Kwame as well. He was gracious to be a guest on my podcast and helped me get a few more downloads for these early episodes. So yes, it's called Meetups with Mediators, and I do always have to tell folks, so if you're searching it on like, you know, your iTunes podcast player, you'll have to actually spell it out exactly. <laughs> if you just type in mediation, what I've found is you'll come upon a lot of meditation podcasts, which I'm sure they are all great, and I practice meditation. <laughs> so, you know, I'm a big advocate for meditation, but meditation is different from uh, the mediation podcast, Meetups with Mediators. But yes, right. thank you for letting me plug that on your show. Hey, no worries. It is one of my favorites. So I definitely recommend that. So let's get to it. I'm super excited about this because uh, for the listeners out there, Veronica and I, we chat about this stuff all the time. So I mediate as well. I mediate at the court. And then also if there are companies that have uh, conflicts internally, I also go inside those companies and help them resolve those conflicts as well. And so while I'm mediating at the court, Veronica and I uh, nerd out on psychology and different tactics and tools that we could use. And so it's been really great kind of sharpening my skills there with her and with our fearless leader, Alex Sanchez. So I'm glad to have her on the show to be able to talk about that. So today we're going to focus on interest-based problem solving and how we can use it in our preparation for difficult conversations and in the difficult conversations themselves. So let's just start off with the obvious question. What is interest-based problem solving? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I think the easiest way for me to sort of define it is to first start with just what it's not. So interest is not a position. So a position is, I want what I want. Maybe I want someone to give me $2,000 or, you know, in the job scenario, maybe I want to work remotely. Or if you're thinking about purchasing a home, I want a house in a particular suburb. And it's just basically what you want. And then if you shift over to your interest, it's really what's underneath that position. So why do you want what you want? And sort of the way that I learned about an interest in my introductory basic mediation training is the way that I think about an interest is the positive that you're trying to achieve or the negative that you're trying to avoid. So it's sort of defined more broadly. And sort of my role at the core in mediating, when I find that people's interests usually are around minimizing financial loss or protecting a personal or business reputation. And those are just a few different examples, but you can see it's just broader than the, I want what I want. And it sort of explains the reasoning behind, I want what I want. Okay. That makes sense. And so what is the point of using it? What's the benefit to us to using this technique? 
Yeah, so what I've observed in both my mediation and, frankly, even just sort of applying it to my own personal and professional life is it really provides you with options. So a position of just a statement of I want what I want, it can be very narrow, very limiting. What I've found in both my mediations and even just my personal and professional life, sometimes you get lucky and you get exactly what you want the way that you want that. But we're not always so lucky that doesn't always happen. And so if you can sort of uncover sort of the why, why do you want what you want? What are the positives that you're trying to achieve or the negatives that you're trying to avoid, whether it's just your own personal decision-making or you're having a negotiation with someone else, you can just generate so many more options. It really kind of helps to increase your creativity and increase your chances that you can actually get what you want. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I like to say is that you are only as strong as your worst option. And if you go into a negotiation or one of these difficult conversations limiting yourself to only one option, then you're not very strong. You don't have very much power. Yeah, I agree with you, Kwame. That's a great way to put it. We are now offering conflict management and negotiation workshops for companies. If you like the content here and you think your team would benefit from getting a customized seminar, then all you need to do is email me or go to the American Negotiation Institute's website to learn more. And now, back to the show. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product, though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. uh, We'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so... We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. So when it comes to actually utilizing this, I think it's really interesting to bifurcate the utilization of this approach so we can use it internally and externally. So I think the external purposes are kind of clear. You use it with the other person to try and explore their interests, but I don't think it's really clear why or how we could use this internally. So in our preparation, when we're by ourselves, kind of thinking through our approach to this, how can we utilize this with ourselves? I mean, really, I think in any sort of decision that you're trying to make, this approach can be helpful. And I guess I should first say, I mean, this 
interest-based negotiation, I mean, this is not something that I've created. I'm standing on the shoulders of others here. I mean, there's a great book, Getting to Yes by Fisher and Gurry that I mean, I know you and I have talked about various books. That's one great book. But in terms of using it personally, life is really, it's really just a series of decisions. Maybe you're trying to decide what path to take. Maybe you're trying to decide among alternatives. That's really where just trying to come up with those options. So I would say in terms of any sort of decision making, I'm going to venture a guess. If you're anything like I was like pre-learning how to mediate, when you're thinking of any sort of situation in your own personal life, I mean, you're kind of gut reaction is probably to think about your position. Like, what do you want? And that's where I think if you can sort of envision, okay, well, let's say that I get exactly what I want. Let's say my position is I want to pursue a job that allows me to work remotely. Let's just say that as an example. Well, that's your position. Now, if you can sort of broaden that and think, okay, well, let's just pretend hypothetically that I get that. How would working remotely impact me? What are the benefits to that? So maybe you would say something like, hey, if I'm working remotely, then most of the jobs in my area are otherwise located in an urban area, and maybe there's lots of construction, and maybe it's hard to find parking, and Maybe traffic is kind of a headache. So maybe I might regain two hours of my day, Monday through Friday. Okay, so it's, you know, maybe I'm trying to create some sort of efficiencies in my day, gain time back. Maybe I have family obligations and I'm wanting to have a professional situation where I can go to various family events and maybe those events are during the day. So maybe what you're looking for is flexibility. I mean, there are any number of aspects that could appeal to someone about, for example, working remotely. It would just be a matter of whatever your position is, I would say, pretend that you get exactly what you're looking for and then just sort of identify what are those benefits that you would get if you got exactly what you wanted and then try to frame those as broadly as possible because you never know. Well, if the headache and traffic is what's really aggravating you, okay, well, maybe there's other options besides working remotely. Maybe you could take public transportation. And so it's no longer your headache, it's someone else's. And maybe you just sort of relax and listen to a podcast like Quantities, right? But to the extent that you can identify those interests, that's where you just brought in your options. I love that. That makes a lot of sense. And I think it naturally leads to a depth of processing that is often overlooked when it comes to thinking through these things and preparing efficiently, effectively. If you're a listener of the show, you know that that's one of the biggest things I harp on is the fact that a lot of times we don't prepare. And that's one of the biggest reasons we don't get the outcomes we want is because we haven't thought through these things thoroughly. So this exercise is critically important. When I go to different companies and do these conflict management workshops or workshops on dealing with difficult people, one of the things that I say with regard to interests versus positions is distinguishing between what and why. So there is what we want, that's the position, and why we want it is the interest. 
And the uh, more granular we get with the why, the better we have an understanding of our own desires and the various options that we can create to meet those needs. And same with the other side. If we can find creative ways to meet those needs, then there's a greater likelihood of both parties getting what they want. And I think when we really break down these interests on both sides, that's the root of creativity. And it opens us up to creating more value for both parties. Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, when we try to shift the focus to the other party, how can we get them to share their interests? How do we discover what their interests are when they just come to us with a position? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think that's where it's really going to depend on sort of whether the other side is oriented to this interest-based problem solving. So, you know, if you know about this, I think you'll be able to quickly discover if you're talking to someone else, whether they are or not, just in terms of how they respond. So what I do is I try to ask a lot of questions. And you'll notice that if someone is not familiar with interest-based problem solving, interest-based negotiation, when you ask a question like, help me understand, you know, what's the positive that you're trying to achieve or the negative that you're trying to avoid, they might just kind of look at you funny, like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> so that's where you may just sort of have to go out on a limb and start asking a question that basically kind of has like your own hypothesis of what you think the other party is interested in. So you might ask something like what you just told me, X, Y, and Z. So can I presume that the reason why you're offering that as a solution is because you're trying to minimize financial expense? Or can I presume that you're trying to create efficiency somewhere? Or can I presume that that you're making that suggestion because you believe that that preserves the company's business reputation. Whatever it is, you may just have to go out on a limb and sort of identify that. And then if you include that as part of the question, then they'll either say yes or no, and you can find out more information that way. But that's what I've really discovered is that if someone is not already familiar with interest-based negotiations, they just might know how to respond to the, help me understand the positive or negative, you know? Right. I like that. And the funny part about situations where somebody is unwilling to share is that the simple technique of hypothesizing, like you said, or layman's terms, guessing <laughs> is shockingly right, powerful. Right. It's really powerful because the reality is that people don't like to be misunderstood. And by guessing, you put them in a position where they can either correct you or they can say, yeah, that's right. Either way, you get information. And people enjoy correcting other people because it gives them a sense of power and control. And so think about it. If you're a student, who's correcting you? It's the teacher. If you're at work, who's doing the correction? It's the boss over the employee. And so there is a feeling of control where they say, no, you're wrong. And then there's a feeling of superiority when they explain what the truth is, when in reality, you're creating a scenario where now they were not sharing, but since you've almost challenged them in this way, with your hypothesis, now they're giving you the information you want. Yeah, that's fascinating. I had never thought about that way, but yeah, that's a good point. It's tough sometimes when you're dealing with somebody who is not an interest-based negotiator. 
And when I'm doing these workshops, one of the of my favorite questions to ask is how many of you have done a training like this before? And usually it's two of 50 <laughs> that raise their hand. And I say, see, most people aren't trained in this way. And so simply by listening to podcasts like this and doing trainings like that, relative to the person on the other side, you're going to be a more skilled negotiator. And we kind of have the responsibility as the person with more skills in the conversation to lead them and show them what effective negotiation looks like. And we do that by sharing our interests, the why behind what we want, but also by asking questions that coax them into sharing their interests as well. And sometimes you need to take the first step and show a little bit of vulnerability then they will reciprocate because you've made them feel safe and you've created a modicum of trust that allows them to share. Yeah, and that's a great point because I sort of think back to kind of what's the way that we are accustomed to negotiating with another party. And it really does seem to be this like positional-based bargaining, right, where it almost becomes like a test of wills. And I know you'll appreciate this too, Kwame, as the father of a little one. I'll share with our listeners. I mean, I've, I've got a toddler. <laughs> I'll tell you, like, even at this young age, I mean, she can already do sort of the positional bargaining. Like, she'll let me know what she wants and what she doesn't want, right? And I think that's just sort of something that we grow up with. So interest-based negotiation, I'll tell you, I did not know about it until I took my first basic mediation training. So it's just a different way of thinking. Now, how can we use this technique to reduce hostility? Because a lot of times we're coming into these conversations and the reason they're so difficult is because there's some emotional barrier between you and the other party. So how can we use this as a tool to reduce hostility and tension in the conversation? One thing I like to tell folks in my mediations, you know, oftentimes there's Parties dispute the facts, and sort of that's what's creating the hostility. And the great thing about interest is that parties may be on different ends of the spectrum. And same thing when you are speaking to someone else and negotiating with someone else, you may wholeheartedly believe the opposite of what they believe. And that's okay because you don't have to agree with the other side's position in order to be able to find something that meets both of your interests. And in fact, you may have common interests. So, I mean, I think the way that it helps in terms of hostilities is really just sort of a way to bypass it. It gives you another area to focus on, sort of acknowledging we may disagree and that's okay because we don't have to agree in order to be able to reach some sort of agreement, understanding that satisfies your interest as well as mine. So it's sort of like the uh, quote-unquote you know, options for mutual gain, right? They, you know, I know, like I mentioned earlier, I mean, like I said, there's a great book, Getting to Yes, that sort of talks all about that. And I'm sure there's other fantastic books as well. This is really good. So in what you said, there are two points that I really, really want to tease out because they're subtle but so powerful. The first thing is the fact that you said that we don't need to agree in order to get past this rift between the people. And I think the assumption is that I need to prove my point and the other person's I need to prove my point. And so we have two warring factions on opposite sides just trying to bully their version of the truth on the other person. 
And what you're saying is that it's not necessary to have that agreement on those major points in order to move forward. And the other part is the fact that you have two different versions of the truth. A lot of times it's we come to this point because we have disagreements on what happened. And really, we're not battling over the truth. We're just battling over memory. I should just do an episode completely on memory because it's really interesting. But memory is, is let's just say it is not perfect. <laughs> let's just leave it at that. And so it's unproductive to have those kinds of conversations just kind of debating the facts of what happened. So given the fact that we don't need to necessarily agree on all of these things, kind of give an example of how it would look if we were to work through a problem and recognize that even though we don't agree in terms of our position, we have opposing positions, we discover that we have aligning interests. Yeah, so I've got a really great example in terms of thinking back on my mediation experience. So one very common type of dispute that I've mediated is where one side will say, hey, I made a personal loan of a certain sum of money to my former friend or my former roommate or my former coworker, and they haven't paid me back. And then inevitably, the other side will tell me, well, no, that wasn't a loan. There was no expectation that I was going to pay anything back. That was a gift. And what about all the other times that I helped out my former friend by giving them money or doing favors for them, whatever the case may be? And so that's an example of a type of dispute. I mean, the two parties may never agree on whether that certain sum of money was a loan or was a gift, but I'm going to venture a guess that chances are both sides has the mutual interest of wanting to minimize financial expense or minimize financial loss. And so that's where when I do a mediation like that, when I find that like parties are just on opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of who did what, who should have done what, I mean, that's where I'll try not to spend too much time on the nitty gritty of the facts. And that's really because like Kwame has shared, I mean, I know, you know, Kwame, I know you're a psychology buff. I know you've got a psychology background. We're constantly talking about different books that we're reading. And one thing that I've learned about recently is just the confirmation bias that when we are receiving information we give greater scrutiny to information that disconfirms what we believe and we more readily accept information that confirms what we believe. So that's where, I mean, if parties are just complete 100% disagreement on the facts, sort of time spent trying to convince one or the other of the rightness of one's position and the wrongness of the other, I mean, it's not always a productive use of time, where instead, in that hypothetical, both sides have a common interest in terms of wanting to minimize financial loss or minimize financial expense. And so maybe as they start to think about proposal to resolution, they can think of something that helps achieve that interest for both of them. Right. And essentially what you're saying here is that they can disagree wholeheartedly on the past while finding a way to agree on what the future should look like. 
And what I've found in these difficult conversations is that a lot of times you need to sacrifice the past in order to win the future. One of the best ways to minimize hostility in difficult conversations or conflicts is to just change the grammatical tense of the conversation. So typically, we're having an argument over what happened in the past. You should have done this, I should have done that, blah, blah, blah. It's a debate over the rights and responsibilities and what did and did not happen between the parties. But what you can do and what I found to be helpful is that you could say, you know what, you have a good point there. I see things differently, but I don't think we're going to really persuade each other one way or another. So what do you think we can do to make sure that this doesn't happen again in the future? Or we could say, what do you think we could do to resolve this? And so we change the focus from the past to the future, and it helps to alleviate a little bit of the tension and hostility that's at play during the conversation. Yeah, I mean, my favorite way to kind of talk about that in a mediation is you know, I'll talk about my time machine. Like I'll tell people as much as I wish I could like come up with a time machine and go back in time. I can't help you get what you don't want from the past. And like sometimes I'll get sort of a chuckle when people will realize and they'll say something like, no, you're right. You're right. Okay. Come on. Let's talk about what we can do moving forward. Exactly. As you know, we could go on for hours talking about this because we have, but uh, we're coming up on <laughs> yeah. time here. Before you go, when it comes to these conversations, I want you to leave the audience with one last nugget. What do you think is the best thing that they can do to become a better negotiator and utilize this skill in their next difficult conversation? I would say before you're going to have any sort of critical conversation with someone else, think about what are your interests? What is it that you're trying to achieve? And if you can be clear on that, and I'm just going to kind of play off of sort of like a meditation technique, just like in meditation, you're sort of encouraged to kind of come back to your breath. And I know you recently had a guest who was a mindfulness expert. That was a really fantastic episode. If you haven't listened to that, you definitely should. But in terms of having any sort of critical conversation, you can sort of think of your interest as sort of your North Star, like a place to come back to. Because when you're having some sort of critical conversation, important conversation, it's sort of easy to get distracted by your own values, by your own rule book, by your own you know, opinions and beliefs about the way the world works or should work or what someone else should have done. And I'll tell you, I can still get caught up in that too. I mean, I don't know how many times I've heard in mediation, people tell me it's about the principle of the matter. But if you can kind of go into something knowing, okay, here's my interest. Like if I can get nothing else from this situation, I really need to get X. I really need to get Y, whatever that is. Then when things start getting heated, or when things aren't going the way that you anticipate, you can come back to that. And then the other thing I will also say, too, is in any sort of important conversation, be prepared ahead of time that you may not be able to get your interest satisfied with, like, the first suggestion you offer. I mean, it's just like I tell folks in mediation. Be prepared to have your first settlement proposal rejected. I mean, rejection is a part of the process. 
So like think of three different proposals and there's nothing magical about the number three, but at least it gets you off of thinking of just one particular way to satisfy an interest. So I think if you can just sort of keep in mind and prepare, maybe your principles or values will kind of come into play or maybe just anticipate that the other party that you're speaking to may not immediately agree, then that can kind of help prepare you and perhaps if you can identify your interests ahead of time, that'll kind of be your North Star during that conversation. I love it. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. Thank you again for coming on the show. This has been really helpful. Yeah, no, this is always great fun. I know we've talked about doing this for a while, and I think for a while we've always been saying, like, we should just record one of our conversations and <laughs> use that as a podcast. So I'm glad... This is just one of the conversations we would have otherwise had. So I'm glad that others will be able to hopefully take part in our fun as well. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. If you're liking what you're hearing, please leave a review and subscribe and tell your friends. Our goal is to help as many people as possible. And when you leave reviews, it makes it easier for people to find us in the searches. Thanks again for being a listener. I'll catch you in the next one.